Welcome to another episode of the Ismona podcast. In this episode, I talked to Stephen Jones from Backbuff, who back then was a part of Moment. This was recorded in July 2020. If you want early access, watch the video versions, or just want to support the podcast, check out my Patreon. And now, let's start the episode. Hello everyone, welcome to another podcast. Today's guest is Stephen from back buff and a designer from moment and yeah maybe you can introduce yourself real quickly for all of the viewers yeah what's up guys my name is steven jones like he said my primary job is at moment shopmoment.com uh, where we focus on kind of empowering the creators with uh, photo video and now some bags which is which that's kind of my get up. And then uh, I also run a website on the side called bagbuff.com. Started that maybe a, almost two years ago, actually. Mm. I just threw up a random pattern and man, things just taken a life of its own. So I've been super fortunate to be building that. By the way, I have just taken a look again at the website. I'm really thinking about getting like a sewing machine and starting learning. Oh, yeah? Yeah you, need, hey. yeah, you really need to give me some pointers on what to look for if I would actually pick up a sewing machine because I think that's incredible what you're doing on that site. Can you maybe uh, elaborate a little bit what your site is all about? I mean, I know it, but maybe you can explain it. Yeah, so really, I mean, right now we're just, I sell a few bag patterns. I I think there's like 10 on there but the the biggest seller is this one called the mountain flyer and i have okay. it in two sizes it's like a 34 liter and a 40 liter mm -hmm. and that one for some reason took off in the ultralight community and there's a there's a reddit a subreddit called myog okay those are my homies over there um anyways i just posted i was like yo patterns here make a donation and i think i, I like had 600 downloads or something like that in the first month which is i was like Whoa. <laughs> what just happened so and i and cool, i made yeah. money yeah it's crazy and i was like people were donating so i was like holy shit this is a thing and I, honestly it's been a year and a half almost two years and i've just maintained the site it's it, i just put it up on wordpress mm -hmm. built it on woocommerce right mm -hmm. so it's pretty low low cost to get it up And I've been making money ever since I, I put up that pattern. And so I just decided, man, I'm, I'm going to start adding some more patterns. So I did that continuously for the first year. Mm. Uh, and then I got a job with Moment last August of cool. 2019. So ever since then, I haven't really uploaded anything new or done anything. But I've been in the background just kind of like <laughs> planning, planning everything. So I got a lot of things coming on that mm -hmm. pretty soon too but I'm, i'm gonna keep most of that on the dl <laughs> so in layman's terms the pattern is like a manual you can put the pattern on the fabric cut that out and then basically yeah make your own bag exactly right totally That's totally yeah it's like it's a you know it's like if you were to buy a blueprint for a house like yeah this mm -hmm. is this is how you build the house That's same insane. exact thing so you get like a pattern mm -hmm. there's what's called a sequence of construction so that's just you know instructions on how to make it mm -hmm. um and then a material list like hey here's all the things that you need to buy and how much how much of it you need to buy and is it in terms of skills how difficult do you think is it to actually make your first bag then let's say I, i would assume the the most easiest bag would be like a tote bag or something like that right totally yeah, yeah I, i would say a tote bag is probably the number one like rudimentary thing that someone should learn mm -hmm. as for like how difficult is it i, I think it depends on your technical skills or like your technical aptitude as far mm -hmm. as making something i don't think sewing uh, by its nature is really hard Uh, I think the hard thing is like finding proper education on how to do it, right? Mm -hmm. So like when I started sewing I mean, seven years ago, I didn't know anything. Mm -hmm. And the, I would look online and there was zero resources. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, well, how do I do this stitch? How should I do that? What is this thing called binding that covers the seams? So binding, gross grain? I, I don't understand. What's the difference between those things? Mm -hmm. What kind of needle should I, what kind of machine should I get? What kind of fabric should I use? What's the difference between nylon and polyester and cotton and exactly. this weave and that weave? And it's just like, there's so much to know, mm. but like take all the technical details out of it, all of that stuff, take it out, say, hey, here's a sewing machine. Hey, here's a pattern. Hey, here's the materials. It's pretty easy. 
if you take all those technical things out of it. So you also, rec in your patterns, you also recommend what kind of fabric and what kind yeah. of garn is the best to use then? Yeah, I basically have a page on that website. Mm -hmm. It's like you know, a materials page. You know, there's all sorts of different fabrics. If you're looking at X-Pack, if you're mm -hmm. looking for aerobic, if you're looking for Dyneema, or just like, hey, here's some standard, simple fabrics, nylon, mm -hmm. Cordura nylons, simple nylons that aren't Cordura because Cordura is just a name brand. Here's some polyesters, yeah. here's some linings, here's some shell fabric, just like breaks down all, all that stuff. And it's not super in detail, but it's basically like, yeah, if you want this fancy one, buy these. If you want this fancy one, if you want the simple one, these are my go-tos. Mm. Same thing with hardware and webbing and zippers and all that kind of stuff. So That's just kind so of like cool. a general guideline. So you yeah. can go there and just like click together and put together your carts at these different retailers. So it's kind of a mess. Like mm. the supply chain, at least the domestic supply chain is like... It's kind of, it's super messy. You have to buy half of this stuff from this company and a third of it from this and another eighth of it from yeah. there just to get everything that you need. There's no one supplier that's like provides everything for bags. Mm. That's kind of my next move to kind of fix that problem. So how did you get into making bags then? Because it's still a niche, right? So a niche product and bags are getting so much recognition at the moment. And you started, did you say four or seven years ago? When did you start? Seven, seven, seven years, years ago. ago. I mean, that was back in the day where there weren't that many brands on the market and the interest in bag no. wasn't that high. So how did you get into that? It's weird. It's actually, I was in Germany. I was flying with the Air Force, so I was posted out there for 30 days. And, you know, we're just kind of on call flying missions into like Africa and Afghanistan out of Germany. Okay. But honestly, on that on that 30 day stint, there was like no mission. So I was just sitting in my hotel room, just waiting for a phone call. <laughs> and I was just on my computer, just OG, just like chilling probably in my underwear all day <laughs> <laughs> watching YouTube. And like, you know, in high school, I was always in like DECA, which is a, it's kind of a, a business club. And I took a ton of accounting and economics. And like, I've always been interested in business. Mm. So I, I knew I wanted to start a business. And that 30 days really just was like, okay, what the hell kind of business am I going to start? It's like got to be something I'm, I love and I'm obsessed about. Mm. And that's actually where I was like, well, I love bags, especially being in the military. There's like that, that was kind of my start was all the technical, tactical, you know, those kind of bags. Mm. I was flying. So we had these helmet bags, but the quality was such junk. It was, you know, the inside seams, they weren't bound with anything. They weren't even surged. They're just kind of raw edge. Mm. It was like this shit polyester material. You know, they'd break down pretty quickly. I mean, you could have it for a long time, but, you know, it's, it's going to get holes and a mm. ton of wear and tear. And it's just going to not be that awesome. And that was kind of, I was like, man, I want to make my own helmet bag. Like, it's going to be a dope helmet bag. So when I was in, in Germany, I just got on a website. It was like governmentliquidation.com, I think, is what it was <laughs> called. And I actually found back here in Washington in at Fort Lewis. So you have McCord Air Force Base and Fort Lewis okay. uh, Army Base. They're like connected to each other. Anyways, at the Army Base, they were selling a sewing machine. It was a FAF 1245. And at that time, dude, I had no idea about sewing. I was like, I don't know if this is a good machine. <laughs> I have no idea. So FAF is a German company, and they actually make one of the best machines oh, in yeah, the world. Oh, yeah, PFA. F F Fuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I know them. The machine I got, the 1245, that thing's just like, this is a bomb-proof sewing machine. Awesome. I had no idea, man. I, it was like this walk compound, compound walking foot, da-da-da, all these details. And I was just like, I don't know. I'm just going to buy it. So I started bidding on it yeah. when I was in Germany. And then I get on the airplane. Like the bidding ended while I was on my flight home. Okay. And then I landed at McCord and it was like, yeah you want you like you can come pick up your machine so i just like borrowed my father-in-law's truck uh, he was my father-in-law at the time he's my girlfriend's yeah. dad's truck and like went to the went to the base next door picked it up and just dropped it off in my buddy's basement and i just remember having this hunk of metal on this table and i was big, just right? like yeah i mean I, i've got this one behind me it's probably like i don't know generally two foot by four foot mm. I, I don't know what that is in metric um I'm working. I'm I'm used to working bags like millimeters. <laughs> but anyway, so I just 
it was just sitting in my buddy's basement or in the back of his shop because he owned a clothing shop. And I just remember looking at it and being like, oh, my God, this thing is scary. Like, I, I don't understand any of this. I have no idea what I'm looking at. I have no idea what anything does. I don't even know how to thread this thing. <laughs> like, what is a bobbin? I don't know what a bobbin is. So then I uh, I had a buddy who he was a, he was a costume designer, mm-hmm. and I was just like I just texted him I was like Hey, can you help me? <laughs> He's like Yeah, man, sure. So he comes over and you know he, he kind of shows me the ropes, gets me started on that, and and then I just taught myself how to sew. It's not easy. I remember having in home education. I had mm, to like mm-hmm. sew uh, sew um, some boxers. No. I remember that. And that was boxers. That seems like a really hard project. It was so <laughs> difficult. <laughs> it was really <laughs> difficult. It was like okay, you can try a dress shirt or some boxers. Right. And I remember like making the machine work and having to deal with all the ends of the gun whenever you finish like stitching something together that was so complicated and yeah. i can't imagine how complicated that must have been for you starting all of yeah that. I, did, i had no idea what i was doing that's for dang sure <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean and then you know after that i basically you know my goal is to make a flight bag which by the way i've still yet to make i still don't have a flight bag Right, because I want to start on small things. I was like, well, what I, like, what do I do? What do I make? So I was like, I'll just try to make like an iPhone case or like a thing for my iPad mm. mini at the time or like my laptop. So I was just tinkering around with those things. And then I realized like my sewing machine could go through a half inch leather. Really? Easy. Oh, easy. It was cake work. Wow. So then I was, there was this, this leather shop up in Seattle. So I just scoot up there. I'd pick up some leather And, you know, that was a different experience, right? Because it's not fabric where the mm. ends fray. It's just like leather. You have like, you cut it yeah. and it's like, that's, it's done. Yeah. So I would just, I started cutting these out. And I'm, I'm really like mathematically, technically, like mm. a very engineer kind of mindset. That's, that's how my brain works. So I just started making things out of leather. If you remember, like back then, like made in USA, mm. leather canvas, that artisan thing, that was like the jam. So anyway, I started making things out of leather and then I started Black Anchor a Workshop, which was my company at the time. That's a cool name. I like it. Yeah, man. It's kind of one of those names now where I'm like, you know, seven years later and all the hell that I went through. Uh, so many mistakes were made mm-hmm. that it's like, it's almost a painful name now. I look oh. at it and I'm like, ugh. Okay. Ugh, I want nothing to do with this thing. Oh, wow. right? Like, ugh, take it away. <laughs> But it's like, <clears throat> you know, I just need to like change my mindset on that. Like, mm-hmm. no, man, this thing was your teacher. This thing taught you. Yeah. Right. Because it wasn't only about sewing and doing things with leather and learning about thread and the sewing machine and manufacturing and building material and like all, it was like the business stuff too, mm-hmm. right? Like running a Kickstarter campaign. I, I ran one and it was super easy to run. This is mm-hmm. back in 2013, I think. And it got funded like $34,000. Mm-hmm. And at the time I was like, wow, Kickstarter's super easy. I'm going to do this all the time. But at that point, like, I still didn't know anything about the business end. Like, how much material do I order? How do I get it shipped? How do I account for all of it? How do I do my accounting? Yeah. You know, I took accounting, but I still didn't, like, know how to manage books. I didn't know how to, like, manage my business and, and corporation, like, documents and make sure that all that stuff was dialed, right? So I've come a long way, <laughs> of course. Yeah, But, you know, at that, there's a lot of relationships that I had that maybe I hurt because I I didn't really understand what I was doing. Maybe I overpromise, underdeliver. I had imposter syndrome. I was like, dude, I'm not a bag designer, but people are, like, hiring me to, like, make these things. And mm. I just feel... Anyways, it's it's weird, but yeah, that that Black Anchor Workshop has like a tinge to it, which I, I still own the business. I just don't do anything yeah, with it yeah. really. But yeah, I'll, I'll just have to change my mindset around it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it worked out pretty well for you then. I mean, now you're at Moment, you make all of your own bags. I mean, for all of the listeners who don't see the video, I see so many bags in the background. I, th- I think it's about, I think I count about 20 oh, or 30 oh, bags <laughs> in the background. And there's, there's like a whole wall over here. It's incredible. Oh, just, I've got a garbage bag just right down here behind me. It's probably got 20 bags in it. <laughs> yeah, dude, I have so many bags. I'm just obsessed with bags. I love bags. And I don't know why. I couldn't even tell you why. If 
I, I'm just obsessed. If we ever are able to travel and fly again, I will definitely visit you at some point because I think yeah, that's man, you have to come incredible out. to see what you're doing. That's basically my like first that. question. So since you are a designer, I would love to know how you actually approach a bag design because I feel like there's so many questions before you can even start. Do you start with the materials? Do you start with the features you want to have? Do you start with the look? That's interesting me. How do you start a bag design? Because sure. I feel like the material, usually if you have like a t-shirt, you start with the design. You don't even care about the fabrics or what goes into it. And I feel like with bags, depending on the material, that there is so much impact in terms of the features you could include. For instance, if you have a leather bag, I feel like there are so many features that you can't include. But then again, if you want to have a special cool design, then you can't use those materials or those features. So how do you approach making and designing a bag? What comes first? In which order yeah. do you start? Well, that's been a cluster of a learning experience, right? It's like, where do you start? I, mm -hmm. I had no training on like design process. So now I work like I work with industrial designers. <laughs> These guys are dialed, right? They have their process. Mm -hmm. It's almost like there's a design process. So it's like, okay, we got this idea. We yeah, yeah. we concept what it looks like. We don't think about anything other than like what it might look like and how it might function. But mm -hmm. just very vague sketches, maybe 10, 20 different different ideas. And then you kind of narrow that down. You just keep concepting until you come up with kind of one core thing where you're like, yeah, yeah, this is it or two core things. And then after that, you get more into the technical design, which is like, what's the user experience? Like, mm. what is what does the person need to be able to do? Like, what's this bag built for? Why does it exist? Now, before this, you've already done research on like what's on the market, right? Okay. So you're looking at all these brands, all the price points, all the features, and you're just kind of comparing, you're building out a grid and just like understanding what's there, what's serving the market, what's doing it really well, what's doing it poorly. You're going, <laughs> you're sifting through every bag's reviews and you're looking for like, okay, this, this person says that they didn't like this thing about this bag. This person, okay, we're seeing this theme on this bag. Everyone wishes this was a thing. So you do that, you do your concepting, and then you're, you're just diving into um, more of the technical design, which is user experience, all those things that you figured out in your research. It sounds You're like a lot of brain work at first before you actually start designing the bag itself, right? It is. Yeah, there's a lot of research. Mm. But yeah, I mean, honestly, before I worked for Moment, dude, I would just be like, I'm going to make that. <laughs> and that I just run and gun. Like, that's just how I did it, right? Yeah. Uh, I didn't really care. But I think there's a nice balance between the two. You know, design process can kind of like slow your iteration, like your speed to market, mm. right? If you, if you focus on a heavy technical like design process, where I think there's a nice balance of like, okay, we, we understand that we are intuitive about this market. We already have a pretty good idea about what it looks like. We're gonna, okay, this is the kind of bag that we are thinking we're gonna go for, do some research, see what's on the market, do all that. And then it's just like, for me, it's like from there, uh, I, I, I work interesting in the fact that I kind of, I almost work backwards where I, I almost built the pattern of a bag first, right? Because I'm a bag maker. That was like how I started was making bags. Mm -hmm. So I'll just, I'll have an idea in my head. I won't even sketch anything, mm -hmm. any ideas of yeah. what it looks like. I just have this picture in my head and I'll just like throw together a pattern and then jump oh, on my sewing machine and okay. sew it together and be like, yeah, that's dope or no, that's that's not dope. We need to change this. And then I'll start adding features to it. That's, that's kind of my process. But now working with Moment, like we have a way different process. And I think most companies probably have this different process of a, of a more like traditional and proper design mm. flow. So that's been an interesting learning curve for me, something to get used to, but I enjoy it. I think it's, it's kind of cool to have like that traditional plus that like garage built mm. and then Kind of, there's a way to mesh those together so it, you know so now let's talk a little bit about you as a creator and take out your position at moment if you had to make a bag what would be your most essential features that you would always for your needs or for your personal taste some essential features that you would include in your personal design 
Yeah, that's a good question. I kind of stick with two kind of primary bag styles. I, I'm kind of getting into slings now. Like mm -hmm. I appreciate slings, so that's one of them. But backpacks are like my go-to. I just yeah. love backpacks. I'm not a big Same. fan of like carrying a tote or a briefcase or any... I don't like any of those. But I also really love a solid duffel bag. Like duffel mm -hmm. bags, for some reason, it's just kind of like, I like to spend a lot of time in the mountains or and I, I need to haul my gear. And I just love duffel bag. Like yeah. one bomb-proof duffel bag is just gonna, it serves an amazing purpose. So yeah, in a backpack, like my core features, probably like a dedicated laptop sleeve, mm -hmm. like pocket. Yeah. Actually, my favorite bag right now is the, um, the Cabot, the North Face Cabot bag. Oh, okay. That's almost my perfect bag. But I, I love really slim bags. Another one is this Porter bag. Do you mind if I grab these bags real quick? Yeah, of course. Let me just... I'm Googling. I want to see that bag in North Face. All right, so the Cabot bag's upstairs with the family. But So this Porter oh, yeah, bag it. was kind of kind of one of the first slimmer bags I got. It's actually a client who sent me this. Mm -hmm. um, he got it in Japan. And it's just got this really cool like vertical taper up to the front. Mm -hmm. Like okay. here's the back panel, it's got a taper. Super narrow, like this is my vibe. This is totally my vibe. Yeah. Super thin, super easy access. This one doesn't have a dedicated um, laptop pocket, but basically the Cabot, in my opinion, it's like this bag, but it has a dedicated laptop pocket. Mm -hmm. Cool. Other than that, man, um, a water bottle pocket. Definitely got to have a water bottle pocket. Yeah, That's I imagine because you are outside a lot, you want quick access to a water bottle, right? Well, yeah, and I travel a lot, right? So, like, a lot of my traveling is in Vietnam, where any day of the year, it doesn't matter, it's 90 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> so you need a water bottle tucked right there. And I really love it when you can, like, reach back and grab it without slinging the bag to the side. Yeah. That's one of my favorite features. Man, other than that, dude, I'm so not picky. Oh, really? I'm really not super picky. I love basic bags. My, my favorite thing is just a simple bag that serves the purpose it was built for really well. I don't like overbuilt bags. If I were to think of another feature, it's got to have a top handle. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's I important. I, like, I prefer side handles over top handles. Do you? Yeah, it's it's That's easier for me to carry because I'm so short. Oh, yeah. So you just carry it on the side. Yeah, because usually when I carry a backpack, due to the overall length of the bag, if I carry it with the top handle, sometimes I just bump against stuff because I'm so short. Yeah. So I prefer having like a side handle so the length of the backpack doesn't matter that much. And I don't like uh -huh. slide it on the ground, especially when it's raining. In Hamburg, it's raining a lot. Sure. So if I carry it on the top handle and there is a puddle, chances are pretty high that the straps it's like super wet. go through the puddle. And yeah. yeah, that's why I prefer side handles. That makes sense. The tricky thing about the side, which I think Peak Design handled really well, is like, how do you have a side handle and a water bottle pocket? Yeah. But it's like when you're carrying it on the side, it's still well balanced, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's always a hard thing. But yeah, dude, I am so simple when it comes to a bag. I'm not sure if simplicity wins, but I'm a simple guy. But are there any pet peeves, like non-essential features that you don't like? So I assume that one of your dislikes would be a completely over-engineered bag with too many features. And that's probably something you would dislike, right? Definitely, yeah. And I, I don't want to hate on any brands in particular, so I'm not going to mention brands. But not. like, you know, when the, the side pocket has like a zip to expand open, I'm just like, that's too much. Okay. Like, <laughs> that's way too much. Dude, there's so many bags I could just look at. Man, I wish I knew. <laughs> Danglies everywhere. I really love a, a nice like cord or like webbing care. Mm -hmm. So like this guy, you know, the end of the strap yeah. just attaches right there. So why? it's not like super loose. I love that these strap end organizers, why do you think they are always like missed? So few bags actually have strap and organizers is there a particular reason why you would not have a strap and organizer apart from costs apart from cost i think it's just majority of the time it's on a backpack right if you just have those side straps like mm -hmm. me personally i'm not going to be mad if there's not organization 
It's just if there's organization, that extra touch, I'm like, oh, that was thoughtful. Exactly. Thank you guys. Right. Yeah, yeah. So other than just like, I, I'm guessing it's like through the design process, you're thinking about so many other things that the last thing is like the organization mm. of the strap on the handles. Yeah. I think it's just one of those things where it's just an oversight and or it's extra cost and or you just don't want to think about it mm. and or it's intentional, right? It, it could be intentional. Like it's it, you want it to be more like a classic pack that just doesn't have cord management. Mm. There's a lot of different ways to do cord management, but I find a a lot of them are actually kind of tedious or it's almost it's more frustrating that there's cord management yeah especially as those, opposed to those if it wasn't spandex kind of things i hate those yeah elastic webbing it's it's one of my biggest pet peeves is the elastic webbing but it's it's interesting as you know I'll, I'll be designing a bag and like with moment we have this camera sling and i tried different cord management for like kind of the tripod strap straps on the bottom i just couldn't there was nothing else. Mm. <laughs> like there was nothing else that was good as elastic webbing. It's yeah, like, yeah. well, okay, well, I'm just going to use elastic webbing because it's tried and true. People know how to use it. Mm. That's the biggest thing is like user experience. You don't want to do something that people are like, what is this? Of course. And you're like, oh, no, no, it's really easy. Like you just do this. And they're like, oh, that is really easy. But you have to explain it to mm. them. And like when someone gets a bag and you're not there to explain it, like you better make a video and show yeah. them how to do it. So it's like when they get the bag, they take it out and it's like, watch this video. Most people are like, no, nah, I'm good. Throw it away. <laughs> and then they're using the bag and they get frustrated and they're like, what? This piece of yeah. shit. And you're just like, that. I mean, I it's really good design and I tried to educate you and you threw away the card and man. It's just a miss. So it's like, the question is like, how much do you want to educate a customer mm. on this is a better design? You don't really want to take the time to do that. There are sometimes you might want to, but the best design is actually when it's really intuitive, yeah. right? When you don't have to explain it, it just is what it is. And people are like, oh shit, I know how to use this and yeah, it's amazing. Exactly. So it, it's hard to find that. Speaking of moment camera sling, I use that quite a lot at the moment too. I take the whole sling mm -hmm. and put that into my backpack that I'm currently testing at the moment. It's like a packing cube. Yeah, it's incredible. It's, it works really Slick. well. I like it, especially like the, the material. That's incredible yeah. fabric. What's, Dude, what's that, it called? That's cool. It's called NPLX 200. Mm. So it's, if your listeners are familiar with Dimension Polyant, right? So you have Dimension Polyant, you have X-Pack. They make an mm. X-Pack VX21. Yeah, the X-Grid yeah. fabric. This one is actually a different manufacturer called North, and it's NPLX 200. The, the dopest thing about it, so Dimension Polyant, their, their face fabric is a nylon. It's a, a nylon with a PET with a polyester grid, or nylon face polyester grid with a PET laminate and a polyester to feta backing. This one is polyester, polyester. It's all polyester okay. and it's all recycled polyester. Oh, that's awesome. Like, it's all made out of like bottles, right? Which is crazy. Cool. I think that's the coolest but thing. But is it more expensive? No, it's actually cheaper. Oh, that's cool. Dude, it's crazy. That's, that's incredible. I just feel like Dimension Poly owned the market on that, on mm. that sailcloth, right? On that PET laminated fabric, which is like no one else is doing it. Mm. And now North is coming to the game and, and it's cheaper if you buy enough of it. Of course. They kind of, they've had kind of a transition in their structure lately. So that's kind of made the supply chain a little bit shaky, but I think they'll get it under control. Mm. But they're out of Sri Lanka, right? So Dimension Polyans out of the U.S. These guys are out of Sri Lanka, but they have like a, a U.S. sales team. Guys that work over in the factory and come over here and work with brands and sell mm. it. So yeah, man, that, that fabric being all recycled was what sold me. And the coolest thing, and, and other makers will kind of appreciate that, is like you take VX21 and you take NPLX200 and you cut them into say a square yeah the dimension polyant one will like curl it does this curling thing because okay. of the nylon fabric where the polyester the it stays the NPLX 200 it just stays flat yeah. which is like for a maker it's like oh my god thank you it's not a big deal it's just like one of those yeah, things it where makes, it's like it makes everything the process easier and therefore then in the long run probably cheaper because you can make it faster right well yeah and i mean imagine you're a factory and you order a thousand of these bags and you cut out a thousand panels mm. and they they all just yeah curl. exactly yeah <laughs> it's like what a pain in the ass even if it's just an efficiency of like 10 seconds those 10 seconds add up really yeah. quickly right if you make totally. thousand different patterns or something like that absolutely I, I would assume that that's probably at the moment your favorite material or favorite fabric or is there something that a fabric that you say like oh that's at the moment the best fabric for me as a creator of bags 
Is there something like that that you really enjoy working Man. with or making stuff out of? As far as making stuff out of, I think VX21. Like I've never actually used the NPLX 200 out of North. I've never used that to make anything, right? Like the, I've just worked with the factories, had it, our, our bags made out of it, but I've never had any here in my shop. Mm. I just use VX21 and I like it. Like it's a solid fabric. It feels good. It's kind of, and it's unique. Mm. I am kind of getting tired of like that X grid look. I think it's kind of overplayed a little bit i think my as far as materials go like my favorite is just figuring out unique ways to make i mean the goal of fabric in in most cases other than it's just standard backpack is like how light can i get it how strong can i make it and how cheap can i get it right those mm -hmm. are kind of like the three pinnacles of a fabric of course strength strength weight cost yeah and you got to balance those right and in that a lot of fabrics when you're working overseas are two to three bucks a yard, which is really, really cheap, really affordable when you're making a bag. If you're stepping into something like Dyneema, it's like mm. 40 bucks a yard, which is crazy. Mm. But then there's like this fake Dyneema called Extrema that's like $20 a yard. So okay. that, that's manufactured out of China. And then there's, there's other fabrics that, and you can almost, you can like mix them. There's Spectra, which is basically Dyneema, but it's just owned by a different company. Mm -hmm. That name is owned by a different company. So you have Dyneema, X, uh, Spectra, and Extrema, all basically the same. I don't know, UHM, PW, I don't know, it's way too long. It's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a composite, and it's stronger than steel by weight. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like 50 times stronger than steel by weight. Nuts. But like you, you make an X grid with that, so like a ripstop. And then the core fabric, you use like a nylon 6.6, like aerobic fabric. And aerobic is like insanely strong. So then you coat that maybe on the top, you're using polycarbonate. And then on the bottom, you're using two times PU or UTS, which is, UTS is kind of interesting. It like really increases the tear strength. Mm. So we've had, I've had some 210D fabrics made for like, I'll get the sample and I'll, I'll just cut a slit do i'll ream on that thing and i can't i can't rip it it's 210 denier mm. and it's just with a simple combination of aerobic and spectra it's pretty cool so so to me that's like in the fabric game it's like that if i were to really dive in and like cost wasn't didn't matter i'd probably go with like this aerobic with spectra grid laminated with PET with like a taffeta, <laughs> a polyester backing. And somehow this shit's all going to be recycled. I'll figure that out, right? But like that would give you this crazy, like, I don't know, like dimension poly, X-Pack type situation mm -hmm. mixed with, you know, Dyneema hyperlight situation. I don't know, it'd just be, it'd be an interesting fabric. I want to uh, see that fabric made someday. Sounds interesting. I would love to see if money wouldn't be an issue. I would love to see what you would make. Oh, it'd be crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I, would love, I would love that too. Well, it's interesting too, because when you're making a bag, when you're making a bag and it, you know, I said um, weight was one of the things. And it's like maybe weight is, but like sometimes you actually want that thickness of a fabric, right? You mm -hmm. want it to feel like a thousand denier because yeah. like it's strong. You want that tactile feel. So it'd be interesting to see how fiber, I don't know how fibers can be developed to be like that thick, but also super lightweight. Yeah, I'm I think sure about I, I totally agree with you. This, this balance between weight and haptic feedback in a way you know like it's it's the same thing with phones on one hand you want it as thin as possible but if it's too thin it feels like a little bit cheap so you have to find the balance and i feel like with all those hiking backpacks that are all really lightweight and that are missing features just to make it as lightweight as possible usually if you have no clue if you're like the most basic consumer that isn't interested in bags that person would probably think like oh that's a very cheaply made bag right why does this cost like 500 euros or something and doesn't really right. realize that as that is because it is lightweight and very durable but in combination with what you're saying with this heft of a uh, feel of the material and this little bit of ruggedness that kind of gives you the feeling of yes this is high quality totally. finding the right balance that must be very difficult for a fabric designer i assume yeah i think it's kind of annoying sometimes you're like oh shit this fabric is the one and then someone on the team's like uh, it's kind of cheap looks cheap feels cheap and i'm like yo the quality is like so dope and that yeah but it's a little shiny and we don't like how shiny it is and it's like 
<laughs> okay, cool. Hey, hey, guys, how can we make this less shiny, please? Can we do this? Because this fabric is dope and we need to use it. <laughs> I'm not saying that that has happened, but that is like, you know, it's something that can, it's just small things, these, yeah, yeah, exactly. these haptic things of like, and these visual cues of like, it's shiny, it just looks a little cheap. Something about it just looks cheap. So, yeah, man, fabrics are another world. I just started diving in deep last year on that once I started mm. with the moment. So that's been a fun, fun world. Also chaotic. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like the process it takes to create a fabric mm. from scratch. You know, they're like, they're sending you like hand woven samples with these fibers that are yay big. Yeah, yeah. Literally somebody in the factory is at a hand loom and like putting fiber by fiber building your fabric. It's crazy. And then you're taking that and you're getting different coatings on it. And then you're trying different colors, like lap dips, right? You're trying all these different colors. And it all costs money, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's not cheap. And then you get to, and you're like, okay, this is the perfect fabric. And they're like, cool, you, you need to order 3,000 yards. And you're like, oh, hey. <laughs> we only need like 500. And they're like, no. Nah. <laughs> like, so dang, do we just waste our time in this process? How do, okay, how do we do this better, guys? <laughs> how do we, okay, oh, this is, you have a book. Okay, cool. We want this one in the book. No, we don't. That you have to order 3,000. I was like, I thought you said it was in the book. And then they're like, well, no, like some of them we have. So, and you're just like, well, dang. Yeah. There's a lot to learn. Like, how do you communicate with these guys? Definitely. What's the process look like? And these are all the things that, like, I don't know, it's a wild west out here, man. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm just learning, figuring it out. I was also, when I did this documentary about how to make bags last year in Indonesia, I was blown away by all of the details that you have to consider. As you mentioned, the, the minimum order quantity. I'm like, why couldn't I just take 100? Yeah, because this machine has to run for at least that many yards. And therefore you can't right. just like switch it on, make like 10 yards and switch it off. You have to let it run the whole time. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, that makes sense. And those are those little things that as a consumer, you have no clue about, obviously. No clue. And it's even like the difference between working in China and Vietnam, vastly different, right? Mm. So like China, they have these massive markets where like you can walk in, you can buy things off the shelf. You're like, okay, that fabric, that color and that red, perfect. Okay, I'll take 20 yards. Done. Mm. It's that easy. And then you can bring it to the factory and they can make 100 items out of it or whatever it is. Vietnam, it's like, They don't have that same yeah. market, right? It's like, no, like you got to go through the supplier. You got to get lap dips if you want it to be a specific color. You got to order X amount MOQ and this and that. And it's like, okay, <laughs> all right, cool. Let me figure this out. And that's yeah. a lot of what I do is just kind of like managing the supply chain. And it's like, okay, MOQs are here. MOQs mm. are here. All this different materials. Here's the MOQs. This is a factory MOQ. Uh, these are the prices. These are the prices if you go below the MOQ, like the cost, yeah, it's exactly. an additional 20% yeah, yeah. or an extra $10 per year. And you're just like, it's this giant gridded puzzle and you're just putting it together of like, okay, the, here's our supply chain. Mm. And then something changes and you're like, Damn. come on, man, I just got it figured <laughs> out. <laughs> So what's your workflow then? So how do you start then? Do you just, you go to a drawing board and you have your designers or your, your industrial designers, right? And they say like, hey, I want to have this kind of bag. Then you sit down and make the patterns and try to make a mock-off out of paper and see, okay, that works. Or how is your workflow then before you actually go to the suppliers, to the factory and stuff like that? What's your workflow? You know, I'm just building the bags program at moment. So it's just kind of evolving or fine-tuning it. Mm. But I mean, big picture, so I'm a program manager. So I, I'm, a, I'm not actually a designer. I designed that camera sling that you have just so that we could get something to market. Okay. But in the background, our designer was working on a whole line of bags, I right? See. We got a whole line of bags oh, coming out. Okay. So while I was building that camera sling that you have, basically that was kind of, okay, let's pull all these pieces. Let me build the supply chain. Let's test it with this product. Oh, I see. Make sure quality solid, make sure pricing, kind of get a, a general idea without just spending like a crap ton of money and just pulling the trigger on this supply chain we've built. It's like, let's test it. You know, there's a on that camera thing. There's a lot of feedback from the team, but I spent I spent all the time with all the details, mm. everything from sourcing kind of to putting it together. And our team, dude named Joel, is a great designer. He's been building out a whole nother line, but we have a bunch of smaller products that we need to work on because the business requires, right? So CEO or other co-founders say, like, hey, we we want to make this product because we're doing over in this 
on our hard goods, you know, phone cases, whatever, this is what we're making. So we need this soft good. I see. So then it's like rapid iteration on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So really, really the idea is like we have kind of uh, two funnels. One funnel is like, what is the business need that, that I'm not really seeing? And then the other funnel is like, okay, we're looking out into next spring and like, what do we want to drop and launch next spring? Bring that in and then, and then we create the brief. It's mm-hmm. like, what's this product? This is all the research. And then we just kind of move it through the design process and get it to tech pack. And once it's a tech pack, it goes to the factory. And then we're iterating with the factory. They're pumping out samples, shipping them back. We're updating tech packs. They're making updates, shipping. All the while, you know, I'm, I'm over here and they're sending me numbers like, hey, this is kind of what the price looks like mm-hmm. on this sample. This is kind of what it looks like. We probably want to change this and this and this and that. And they're like, okay, cool. This is probably what the price looks like. And I'm working with different suppliers. Hey, you know, because when you make a bag and it's over at the factory and you're like, oh man, I really wish that cord was red. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hit up, you know, hit up this guy and be like, hey, can you LD this cord in red? and then ship it to these guys. It's a ton of like logistics supply chain oh, stuff through that sampling process. And then once you do that, you're basically bringing in SMS samples, salesman samples. You're ordering 50, 100 per style, bringing them in, seeding those out to influencers and press. And then they, you know, they make their content and we launch our campaign and product is alive in the world. So how long does it take? Long time. How many months are we talking about now? Maybe 12? Well, I started in August last year, mid-August. Oh, that, um, for for the camera back. That was fast then, right? I think we started the sling. I think we started, I started developing that in December or maybe November. I can't remember. I'd have to look at, look at all my design dates. But anyways, yeah, I mean, that was a really quick development wow. turnaround. Yeah. That's impressive. And then we've got, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven products dropping in a few different colorways next month. That I, I want to say we started in probably October, but we, we adjusted a lot. Like once we came into the new year, we kind of dropped some products, picked up new products. We're just kind of adjusting the line. Wow. So yeah, and now we're kind of kind of ready to go with launching that's so. very impressive considering the circumstances of 2020 that's quite fast oh man this year's been kind of crazy yeah huh? yeah exactly <laughs> yeah it is it is fast i mean i you know i hear that the there's a lot of companies that maybe spend a year year and a half on developing products yeah, which yeah. to me is like man that's a there's kind of this balance right it's like you want to get to market as fast as possible when you have an idea it's popular in the market you just you want to get it to market and you want to act like a startup mm-hmm. right and that's that's kind of our company like you want to act like a startup we're bootstrap we're hustlers we're emailing at 1.30 in the morning over to Vietnam. <laughs> you know, it's like if we want to move as fast as possible where there's a lot of companies where it's like they have these longer windows, but you might be able to put together a more refined product. But in kind of our opinion, it's like we want to make it as refined as possible, but we also want to go as fast as possible. So there's a balance. You know, where's that balance? I don't know. We'll figure it out someday, but... <laughs> I guess it's also all about experience, I guess. You lose some, you yeah. gain some, and then you have some more experience, and you know what to do better, totally. or what not to do in the next process. Right. Well, yeah, and the amount I've learned, you know, I've for the last seven years, I've considered myself just like a bag nerd, right? I've been making bags for that long, and I, I'm learning so much still, mostly mm. about supply chain stuff and managing those relationships. You also have to do that. You have to be tender with some people, of right? Course. You have to be st- strong and firm with some people. Yeah, I mean, it's every time I talk with my father in Indonesia to see how many cultural differences influence the way you speak to each other, right? And I imagine... Totally having to deal with other businesses in different countries to see like, okay, he said yes, but did he actually mean yes? I'm not sure. Let me figure that out. I know that from my dad. It's like he lived in Germany for quite a long time and he tells me every time, okay, I talked to this Indonesian businessman. I know he said yes. Even when I'm around, I thought like, okay, he said yes, right? And my dad is like, no, he said no. (laughs) And that's something, (laughs) right? It's it's so difficult. To actually get the feeling for all those cultural differences and the nuances in 
body language and the way that person sure. says actually yes or no and i'll be on cacao this is like a, a south korean app called cacao and yeah. a, a lot of the guys most of the guys that you're working with in vietnam at the factories are all korean so on cacao and i'll send something and they say like i see <laughs> and you're like oh i know what i see means or you know there's just different things that they say It's basically kind of a English translation to something different. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're just like, okay. Then you'll follow up and say like, you know, you'll clear things up of like this, this, this. This is kind of what I meant. Mm -hmm. And instead I'll do this. And they're like, okay, great. Thanks. That I really appreciate that. And you're like, okay, cool. <laughs> and to me, the language barrier is not really that difficult. It's just understanding people, right? It's mm -hmm. like, I mean... If you can understand person, it doesn't really matter what culture, as long as as long as you understand their cultural differences. Like yeah. when I was in um, I was in Turkey with the Air Force, massively Muslim country. I didn't realize until I got there that like, you know, if you put your foot up on your knee, that bottom your bottom of your foot pointing at somebody is the most disrespectful thing you can do in that culture. Mm. But it's like those things. As long as you go in and you understand that like. The way that you stand, the way that you sit, the way exactly. that you say thank you, the way that you eat your food. It, as long as you understand these cultural things, like people are people are people, right? Mm. And I think that's my favorite thing about this job is like I get to work with so many different people. It must be awesome. Um, mostly, mostly out of Asia, mm -hmm. which is great because I love Asian culture. You know, traveling to South Korea, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Vietnam, Thailand, China, all these countries, mm -hmm. I just like... I love it. Their food's mm. my favorite. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, only Asian food is so good. It's, it's kind of embarrassing yeah. for me. I'm My origins are Indonesian, but being born and raised in Germany, I can't really manage to eat spicy food. It's very embarrassing oh, yeah. as an Indonesian to be like... I can imagine that that would be embarrassing. <laughs> it's too yeah. hot. It's too and it's spicy. like no fault to your own. You just weren't raised that way, <laughs> yeah, exactly. right? My my tongue is not attuned to spicy food. I'm trying to get used to it. I try to eat like I had today, like Mexican food with uh, jalapenos. And it's yeah. like I was burning up, but oh, I tried no. to get better at it. Dude, I, I remember I was in Seattle. So I, I love spicy food. And then I was in Seattle and I went to this Thai restaurant and I was like, yo, five stars. Give me five stars. And they were like, that's a bad idea. And I was like, no, I always get five stars at Thai restaurants. This is what I do. Right. But like the Thai restaurants that I go to are whitewashed, right? They're just like, here's a white person, five stars in America. And uh, so anyways, I get this five star and I'm, I take a couple bites and I am on fire. I'm just burning up. But I... Dude, I'm playing it cool, right? I'm like, I gotta eat this. I gotta finish this whole thing. I, it destroyed my insides for years. I could not have any spice in my food because I don't know what it was. My body was just like, absolutely not. There's no way you're, you're gonna do that to me again. But now, like, you know, I spend so much time in Asia now. I just like, I'm always getting spicy food. And I think the my, the thing I'm most proud of is when I go there. And they're like, okay, we'll get these. And they'll tell the waiter, like, not spicy. And I'm like, no, no, no. Let's make it spicy. Give me the spicy <laughs> stuff. And they're like, are you sure? And I'm like, give me the spicy stuff. And I'll be sitting there eating, you know, with my first, they're like, white guy with chopsticks. This is amazing. What's happening? <laughs> the other thing is, like, I am sweating bullets. And they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, I love this. This is awesome awesome and i don't know what it is but like i don't know i just i just suck it up but I, like i love spice like my body's back to like loving spice and like i can have spice again but when i go to like china and eat szechuan like i don't i don't want the tamed down version like i want the real thing give me the real thing i would like that please i wish i could and then you know that. If, if i needed to eat something else you know i'll just switch i'll eat some of this I don't know, less spicy thing for a minute. And then I'll, <laughs> and then I'll get back to this, the Szechuan peppercorn, whatever, and like sweat my face off. Yeah, my favorite thing is, is the Asian, Asian food over there. And like, I'll even take cooking classes. Like last time I was in Vietnam, I took a cooking class. Just to learn, like, I'm just like, I love food. I'm obsessed with food. Yeah. And I feel like awesome. the best thing about culture is like, how do you, how do you really connect with someone? It's like it's their food. food. Yeah. Agreed. So totally, yeah, like Korean barbecue in Korea, oh, dude, sitting so on the awesome. side of the road. Oh, that's these incredible! I love it. Tables where it's yeah. like you're just cooking your own meat. I'm just like, 
Yeah. Drinking exactly. soju. Oh, Korean barbecue Dude. is the best. That's really good. Dude, it's so good. <laughs> but yeah, food is incredible. It brings uh, people together really quickly. And um, yeah. yeah, I will always remember these gatherings also in in usa when i was uh i lived in usa in oklahoma for a year a high school year and mm -hmm. i think the first no not the first uh not the first thing but the most incredible thing for me was the super bowl yeah. where like i didn't know about the tradition of super bowl gatherings right my my right. host mom and my host dad had this big super bowl party they were like dallas cowboy fans and uh -huh. there were, like 30 people there and we had like mashed potatoes gravy and stuff like that and was like oh, yeah. for me that was my most incredible gathering in terms of surrounding food because i didn't i didn't care for the super bowl then i was like eating right. all of the time right. and there were so many people <laughs> i was like trying out different stuff and yeah when i think about food and bringing people together i always think about that day to be quite honest yeah I would say the Super Bowl in America, it's almost like Thanksgiving with no rules. Thanksgiving right? was the same, like, yeah. You, you don't have to have turkey. You don't Like the rules of yeah. the food at the Super Bowl are just like, it doesn't matter. It just has to be really bad yeah. for you. And you need to eat a lot yeah. of it. <laughs> and I don't know. And you I, don't have to have your family over. You can just invite your friends. Exactly, so it's exactly. Like, it's Thanksgiving with zero rules whatsoever. <laughs> All right, Stephen. That was an awesome talk. I learned a lot of new stuff again, and I need to pick your brain in the next few days. I will try to Google a couple of sewing machines, and then I will see if I can ask you about what to look out for. If you join the Facebook group, the Bag Buff Facebook group, they they nerd out on sewing oh, really? about sewing machines. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they I will, they like post photos of like bags and stuff that they're making, but they also are like answering questions about materials, sewing machines, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, definitely hit me up. I can I can help you, but I'll I'll probably point to you some resources in that group for sure. Yeah, but before we end, do you want to just tell everyone your website, your Facebook, your Instagram and stuff sure. like that? Yeah, I just you guys can follow my personal Instagram at mr.jones, just Mr. Jones, and then bagbuff is just bag.buff on Instagram. Cool. And that's pretty much it. I mean, you can kind of find everything that I do through those, so And obviously your work fancy. at Moment is also Yeah. Something. Yeah, you can check that. They're on Instagram, it's just at Moment. So if you're into photo, video, creative lifestyle, work from home stuff, um, check out Moment. They cool. they have all the dopest gear. So awesome. It's like B and H but cooler. It's not as big. <laughs> it's not as cool. It's like not as big yet, but we're get we're gonna get there. All right, Stephen. Thank you so much for Alrighty. taking the time to talk to yeah, me. Yeah, man. And Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Then I wish you all the best. And yeah, everyone else, if you have any questions, come below and then I will pass the questions over to Stephen. And yeah, hear you at the next time at the next podcast. Thank you very much.